loving sairam and uh, greetings from prashanti nilayam in the last two broadcasts i have narrated to you the story of the krishna avatar that narration does not include a description of the great war between the kauravas and the pandavas which took place at kurukshetra that war is a story in itself and krishna's role in this war is of paramount significance because it was at the beginning of this 18 day war that krishna preached the bhagavad gita to arjuna basically the kurukshetra war was a family feud it's not only snowballed into a huge conflict but actually became a tussle between righteousness or dharma and unrighteousness or adharma initially it seemed as if fortune favored the forces of evil as indeed it always appears to eventually of course dharma triumphed as it always has to though throughout history mankind has generally lacked the confidence that dharma will triumph by the way it is not surprise that dharma had the final say since the blessed lord was personally backing it as in every other instance the war left a massive trail of devastation reminding us that the price of victory is never cheap but when dharma itself is at stake no price is too expensive that was the moral then and so it remains to this day the story starts with king santanu of hastinapura who one day came across a damsel of extraordinary and bewitching beauty the young lady was none other than the goddess ganga representing the river ganges who for divine reasons had assumed a human form the king succumbed to her charms and begged ganga to become his wife which ganga agreed to but on one condition she said o king under no circumstances must you ask me who i am where i came from etc nor must you ever probe my actions however legitimate your concern might seem to you if you agree to my stipulations i shall marry you but be warned that if ever you violate your promise i shall immediately leave you forever the king was so infatuated with ganga that without a second thought he agreed to all the conditions laid so they got married soon a child was born but ganga without batting an eyelid threw the baby into the river ganges santanu was horrified but bound by his promise he could do precious little other children came but every one of them was promptly dispatched to a watery grave and the count quickly rose to seven then came the eighth child and as ganga was about to throw the baby boy into the river santanu picked up courage and tried to stop her ganga then said to santanu o king you seem to have forgotten your promise and so i have to leave you now 
this child i shall not kill but i'll take him with me however later i shall hand him over to you but before i go let me tell you that i am not a heartless woman given to killing her own children those whom i was forced to destroy were bound by a curse and i was the agency used for implementing the curse so saying she disappeared with the eighth bomb several years later ganga appeared before santanu and handed over his son who had been named devavrata and had already become proficient in the martial arts having handed over the son to king santanu ganga vanished four more years went by and one day santanu saw a young fisherwoman named satyavati whom he wanted to marry he approached satyavati's father and the father said he would give his daughter in marriage provided santanu would make her child the king of the realm after santanu's death this the king would not agree to because that would amount to rank injustice to devavrata now blossoming as a fine prince nevertheless king santanu continued to pine for satyavati seeing his father in a distraught condition devavrata made enquiries once he came to learn of the reason he promptly renounced his claim to the throne and in addition swore that he would never marry so that there would be no children through him who could later contest the kingship on account of this vow devavrata now came to be known as bhishma or the one who took a terrible vow a name that replaced the one given by his mother santanu had two sons chitrangada and vichitravirya both through satyavati and to vichitravirya were born two sons named dhritarashtra and pandu dhritarashtra married gandhari and sired 100 sons known collectively as kauravas pandu married two wives kunti and madri and had five sons in all known as the pandavas dhritarashtra the elder son was born blind and therefore pandu was appointed to the throne at that time pandu had no sons one day he went hunting and as a result of unhappy circumstances came under the curse of a rishi according to which he pandu would forfeit his life if ever he sought conjugal pleasure heartbroken pandu surrendered the kingdom to his elder brother dhritarashtra and retired with his two wives to the forest to lead a life of penance and austerity dhritarashtra was advised in the affairs of the state by his able minister vidura and of course also by his uncle bhishma now pandu's elder wife kunti was actually the sister of vasudeva the father of krishna you might remember i mentioned this before when she was young kunti had been given in adoption to a king named kunti boja and that was the reason why she was known as kunti as a young girl kunti had won a special boon from sage durvasa according to that by chanting a sacred mantra 
and thinking of a deity, she would get a son with all the qualities of that particular deity. Kunti was tremendously excited and decided to try it out immediately and chanted the mantra. And while doing so, she meditated upon Surya, the sun god. Surya at once appeared before Kunti and said, I bless you with my son. Kunti was aghast and said, My lord, I did not realize that this mantra was so powerful and that it would work so fast. I am not married and what would people say if I were to have a son now? So please help me. Surya replied, I am afraid I cannot take back the son. But don't worry. For the baby would be born right now and you don't have to wait for nine months. Also, the birth would not affect your virginity. Karna, the child of Surya, was born forthwith and putting the baby in a sealed box, Kunti let the box afloat in a river. The box was spotted and picked up by a charioteer named Adhirata and Karna grew up under the care of the charioteer's wife named Radha. For this reason, Karna was also sometimes referred to as Radheya. Later, Kunti got married to Pandu and when she went along with him to the forest, Pandu, desiring progeny, asked her to invoke the boon granted by Durvasa. Thus it was that Kunti gave birth to Yudhishthira by meditating upon Dharmaraja, the lord of righteousness and death. Then came Bhima, who was born when Kunti meditated upon Vayu, the wind god. And after that came Arjuna, who was born when Kunti contemplated on Indra, the king of the Devas. On Pandu's request, Kunti taught Madri also the same mantra and helped her to get two sons named Nakula and Sahadeva. In this way, Pandu became the notional father of five sons, collectively known as the Pandavas, but biologically he was not their father. After the birth of the five sons, Pandu was one day seized with physical desire and sought to enjoy conjugal relations with Madri. Instantly the curse became effective and he died. The Pandava princess now returned from the forest to Hastinapura and came under the protection of their grandsire Bhishma. Bhishma appointed Kripa, known reverently as Kripacharya, as a teacher to the sons of Dhritarashtra as well as of Pandu. Though the Kauravas and the Pandavas grew up together, there was generally no love lost between them, particularly between Duryodhana, the eldest of the Kauravas, and Bhima. The only one to rise totally above all ill feelings was the eldest of them all, the wise and gentle Yudhishthira, also known as Dharmaputra, who was totally different from all the rest. Sometime later, the task of imparting instruction, especially in the martial arts, fell to Drona, also referred to respectfully as Dronacharya. This Drona was the brother-in-law of Kripacharya, by the way. One day, Drona announced a public contest to test the skills of his pupils. It was a big event, and beside the king, the elite as well as the general public were invited to witness the proceedings. One by one, the young princes were called upon to display their skills. 
and when it came to the turn of Arjuna, there appeared in the arena an intruder who dared to challenge Arjuna and actually displayed equal skill in archery. Arjuna felt deeply insulted and the challenged the intruder to a combat. That intruder was none other than Karna, the firstborn of Kunti. At this stage, Drona intervened to say that a prince could fight only another prince. Would Karna identify himself? Was he a prince? Whose son was he? Karna, who believed that he was the son of a charioteer, felt deeply pained that he was being kept out on flimsy technical grounds. It was at this stage that Duryodhana came forward to extend support and patronage to Karna, an act that was to have far-reaching consequences. On the spot, Duryodhana made Karna the king of Anga, a territory lying within the kingdom of Dhritarashtra. Meanwhile, the sun had set and the day's proceedings were declared concluded. As a result, the fight between Karna and Arjuna did not take place, but deep animosity between the two took root, and it lasted till Karna was finally killed in the Kurukshetra war. When the Kaurava princess and the Pandavas reached the age of assuming responsibility, there was much speculation about how Dhritarashtra would transfer power. On the compelling advice of Bhishma and Vidura, who, let me remind you, acted as advisors to Dhritarashtra, Dhritarashtra appointed Yudhishthira as the crown prince. However, that did not imply in the least, at least in Dhritarashtra's mind, that Yudhishthira would automatically succeed to the throne. Duryodhana, of course, was no mood to be deprived of power or even to share it with Pandavas, and he spared no pains to hatch schemes for eliminating his cousins. Plotting with his uncle Sakuni and Karna, Duryodhana got a fabulous palace built at a place called Varnavata. The palace was so unusual that it was built entirely of lacquer a highly inflammable material, though this was not evident to the eye. Duryodhana's idea was to somehow entice the Pandavas to visit the palace and once they were there, to arrange for an accidental fire in which his cousins would perish. The Pandavas duly fell into the trap, but Vidura, who got wind of Duryodhana's evil intentions, sent a coded warning to Yudhishthira with the words, a forest fire cannot hurt a rat which shelters itself in a hole. When the Pandavas reached their destination and discovered that the palace was nothing but a fire bomb, they quietly built a tunnel, set fire to the palace themselves before Duryodhana's agents could do so, and silently escaped through the tunnel into the forest. News about the fire reached Astinapura. And Duryodhana, who did not know that his plan had backfired, assumed that the Pandavas were dead and secretly rejoiced. Only Vidura knew that the Pandavas were safe and he shared that information 
with Bhishma alone. Deeply conscious now that the Kauravas would not stop at anything, the Pandavas chose to remain in disguise as they wandered about. In the process, they came to the kingdom of Panchala, the land of the five rivers, which is modern Punjab. At that time, Panchala was ruled by King Draupada. Now, this Draupada was an enemy of Drona, and he had two sons named Drishtadhyumna and Shikandi. The latter was actually born as a girl, but aided by divine circumstances, the girl later became a boy. This exchange was to have implications in the elimination of Bhishma in the Great War. At the time the Pandavas made their entry into Panchala, Drupada had arranged an exotic archery contest to select a suitor for his daughter Draupadi, also known as Panchali. Disguised as Brahmins, the Pandavas made their way to the scene of contest. The contest was open to the members of the warrior class or Kshatriya caste, and it soon got underway. None could score a success, including Karna, who missed by the proverbial hair's breadth. At that stage, Arjuna stood up and asked Draupada, Can Brahmins participate? Draupadi's brother, Drishtabjumna, said, Any noble son of a noble mother could do so. And then Arjuna said, Okay, I'll contest. And with effortless ease, shot an arrow into the complex target. Without a moment's hesitation, Draupadi followed Arjuna and went to the hut of the Pandavas. As the victors were entering, Kunti asked them, What have they brought home from the contest? They all said, Mother, we have brought a prize. And Kunti, without having any knowledge of the so-called prize, said, In that case, all of you share it equally. This, of course, posed a nasty problem because it was not a material prize that they had brought, but Draupadi. Draupadi was consulted. She did not mind marrying all the five simultaneously, but her father, Drupada, was shocked beyondwards, naturally. At this stage, sage Vyasa arrived on the scene and he told Drupada that in her previous birth, Draupadi had prayed five times intensely to Shiva for a good husband. Her prayers were being answered altogether now in this birth, and so a one-time exception could be made to a woman marrying more than one husband. Vyasa also added that no other woman could invoke this example as an excuse to marry more than one husband. Drupada then withdrew his objection, and Kunti welcomed the new addition to her family. The time of their marriage, the Pandavas gave up their disguise, and of course, Drupada was most delighted to learn that his five sons-in-law were actually princes. The Pandavas then returned triumphantly to Hastinapura, much to the delight of Vidra and Bhishma and the general public as well. Needless to say that Duryodhana and Karna boiled inside with fury, since their plan to burn the Pandavas in the palace had completely misfired. The big question was, what would happen now? Bhishma advocated that the best course would be for Dhritarashtra to divide the kingdom into two parts and hand over one of these to the Pandavas to rule, leaving the other half to the Kauravas. Vidura actively supported this idea and added, 
It's a common talk among the people that we try to kill the Pandavas. This is the only way of silencing such gossip. Though he was not quite willing, Dhritarashtra yielded to this idea as this seemed the best way of securing peace. Duryodhana felt cheated and he tried to make the best of the bad bargain by making sure that the portion of the empire that the Pandavas received was dry, barren and unproductive. Naming their kingdom Indraprastha by sheer hard work, the Pandavas transformed it into a lush and prosperous country, whereupon Duryodhana once again became furious and consumed with jealousy. Meanwhile, Krishna's association with the Pandavas grew and that is how he came to use Bhima to exterminate Jarasandha, that story I told you earlier. Later, Krishna exploited the opportunity provided by the Rajasuya Yajna performed by Yudhishthira to personally annihilate Shishupala. That story also I have narrated earlier. Duryodhana's anger against the Pandavas reached new heights and he started plotting against the Pandavas with renewed vigor. Many plans were considered and one of them was outright war. Karna was all in favor of a direct attack on Indraprastha but Sakuni, the uncle of Duryodhana, advised against it. He said, You see, we must not use brawn but brains. Entice the Pandavas to a game of dice and leave the rest to me. I'll take care of everything. Seeing the merit of Sakuni's suggestions, the plotters then met Dhritarashtra and sought his blessings to invite the Pandavas for a game of dice. Dhritarashtra consulted Vidurahu who was revolted by the idea. However, by exploiting parental softness, Duryodhana had his way and Vidura, the objector, was himself dispatched to convey the invitation to the Pandavas for a game of dice. Now, in those days, the etiquette among kings was that an invitation to a sport, especially a game of dice, should be honored and should not be refused. Thus it was that Yudhishthira and his brothers came to Hastinapura for what they thought was a normal game of dice. Duryodhana, of course, had other plans and proposed that while he would make the bets, the dice would be actually thrown on his behalf by Shakuni. The ever-soft Yudhishthira raised no objections because he did not suspect in the least that Shakuni would cheat, manipulate the dice and literally make them dance to his tune. So, it was natural that Yudhishthira had a string of failures or bad luck. Never such bad luck has been seen in history. It was all unprecedented, but not once did Yudhishthira suspect foul play. In all innocence, Yudhishthira played according to the rules, while his opponents cheated at every conceivable opportunity. To cut a long story short, Yudhishthira wagered and lost one by one jewels, chariots, animals like horses, elephants, and even cows, sheep, etc. Having lost all his worldly possessions, he then bet his four brothers and lost them too. Egg by Saguni, he then thoughtlessly offered his own self as a bet and soon found that he too had become a slave of Duryodhana. 
one would have thought that that would be the end of the game. No, Yudhishthira was reminded that he still had something he could wager and that was his wife Draupadi. His discrimination entirely blunted, Yudhishthira took the incredible step of offering Draupadi as a bet and lost her too. And this was precisely what many like Karna were waiting for to inflict the ultimate in humiliation. While all this drama was going on in the royal assembly, Draupati was indoors, blissfully unaware that her husband had lost everything, including himself and her too. When Duryodhana's brother Dushasana burst into her chambers to drag her by the hair to the assembly, the reality of the situation hit her like a ton of bricks. There she was in the assembly, the high and mighty at one end, her enslaved husbands at the other, and she in the middle, held by her hair with Dushasana, while the Kauravas took turns in haunting her and hurling filthy remarks. Deep in anguish and eyes drenched with tears, Draupadi looked pleadingly at her husbands, five of them, but there was no help from that quarter. She then appealed to the learned ones like Bhishma and Kripacharya, but silently they looked the other way. And then, rising to new levels of indecent and atrocious behavior, Dusasana, at the behest of Duryodhana and Karna, tried to disrobe Draupadi in public. The distressed damsel now had only one resort, and that was to appeal to Lord Krishna himself. Loudly and pathetically she wailed, O Krishna, O Lord of Matra, O Lord of Dwaraka, O my indweller, where are you in my hour of distress? They say you have a thousand eyes. Are they not watching what is going on? And pray, what did I do to deserve all this? My husband swore by the sacred fire to protect me and my honor. Look at them now, standing silently and not lifting a little finger. You are my only refuge and I surrender totally to you. It is now entirely up to you to protect my modesty. Lo and behold, a miracle, an extraordinary miracle took place immediately. As soon as Dusasana tried to remove Draupadi's garments, fresh ones kept appearing. He tried and tried to strip her completely, but her sari kept extending endlessly. Eventually, Dusasana became physically tired and simply quit after which the proceedings abruptly ended. Altogether, it was an electrifying drama and different people reacted differently. Dhritarashtra for one was frightened out of his wits and counseled by his queen Gandhari, he drew Draupadi aside and profusely apologized to her and he promised that he would grant any wish of hers. Draupadi merely desired that her husbands be set free. They did not come to her rescue, but here she was rescuing them. Dhritarashtra gladly did as asked and offered another boon to Draupadi, which she politely refused. However, in a rad mood of generosity, Dhritarashtra gave back to Yudhishthira all that had been won, by unfair means of course, by the Kauravas during the dice scheme. So at the end of the day, the Pandavas went back with their kingdom intact and also a bag 
full of unpleasant memories. This scene in the Mahabharata is full of significance. That I shall discuss in my next talk. Till then, all the best and may God be with you. Jai Sai Ram.